0: I was, last night, uh, my wife Ray, and I just got back from a great little anniversary trip we took, and after this wonderful three days of celebrating our relationship, it's so predictable, we got in an argument last night, right before we went to bed. <laughs> and at the end of it, she said, you know, I, I, I apologize for coming on a little too strong, but I really didn't feel like I came on that strong. And she said, you know, I think you don't realize how often... Like, you're much more forceful than you realize. And that, I think, I was just thinking about that this morning. That's really a lot of the nature of dads, is God's made us to be forceful. Like, dads make an impact for, for good or for bad. And that's something the way He wired us. And it's something with incredible potential. And many of us can look at our fathers and be so glad for what we've received in that way. And um, you know, sometimes there's stuff to, to sift through, too, like you know, like, like me, and what, what comes through me. But anyway, it's, it's good. There's an honorable thing that God has, put, has called those of you who are men to be fathers, many of you to be fathers, who will bring that force in a powerful way to make a positive difference. And we're, uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Jonathan Hupp. I serve as pastor here at Bluemont, And we are in the middle of a series we're doing this month called You Can Help Your Team Win. And the idea is, is that God has put every one of us on teams, whether it's in our family, or work, or a a school team, uh, it could be a sports team, or church is a team, and there are teams within the church family that are teams. And And there is a role God has given every one of us that we can bring something to our team to help it achieve what God intends it to achieve. And we're following some of the themes from this champ camp that we're doing. So every week, there's a different attribute that starts with a letter that spells out champ. So the first week, we talked about having a clear and compelling vision. Last week, Bo Banner, who's now in Uganda, did a, just an awesome job talking about honor, how honored people honor people. And today, we're talking about kind of the classic team characteristic of attitude, right? Like all those like high school sports t-shirts, you know, on the back of it that says attitude or that's a common thing. But we're talking about a winning attitude and, you know, attitude, there's, there's something about a winning mentality, a winning attitude that really makes a huge difference on any team that you're on. I was, when I was in 10th grade, I moved to a new school here in Kansas. It was a, a smaller school and I was excited to play football, because I'd been overseas the year before and couldn't play football. And so I roll into the school, and I find out that the team had not won a game the year before. They went 0-9, the Royal Valley Panthers, winless. And so I was like, OK, and there's a new coach. and He's like, OK, we're going to turn things around. And we started the season, and we lost the first game and the second game. And guess what? We lost all nine games this year, too. And it was one of the, you know, I've been, on, I've been on some teams that did really well. It's one of the best experiences, some of the best experiences of my life. Being on losing teams is one of the most miserable things of your life. But, you know, a place where you really learn something, too. But I realized at some point, I don't know when it hit me, that a lot of the reason why Royal Valley High School lost all their football games didn't have to do with the amount of talent, because we actually had some really stud athletes that could have played college football. It didn't have to do with a lot of things. It had to do with attitude. There was just a losing culture in this school. There was a losing mentality that it played out in how people conducted their life, how they went to class, how they practiced, how the the expectations, it played out because of the attitude resulted in losses on the field. And you look at, you know, any, you know, here at K-State, obviously it's a big sports town, and you look at why college coaches get paid a lot. It's because the right coach can bring an attitude or a mentality to a program that turns things around. I mean, that happened here at K-State with you know, the Miracle of the Football program. I saw it happen with the basketball program when Bob Huggins came in, and really one year... Brought a different mentality, you know, and also he had some other advantages like not coaching for a year and being able to have no recruiting rules to follow and just, you know, go hang out with people all year round, whatever he wanted. But there was a change in mentality that one person brought that changed the whole program. And that's really the kind of attitude that God wants every one of us to have in the teams that we're on, whether it's our family or whatever, our church or our job. But if there's a team that God's put you on, he wants you to bring a winning mentality. And I want to just define this. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. If there's some spots in your bulletin, it's going to be on the screen here. Our definition of a winning attitude, it's an inner confidence that with God, we will win. An inner confidence that with God, we will win. That is like the the sports chant that's become so popular in the last several years, that I believe that we will win, I believe that we will win. And it was actually, I, I just Googled this this morning, because I thought, does that start with the Sporting KC soccer team? And actually, no, it didn't start with them. It was in 1998, there was a, a Navy guy in in, um, in, the, in, Navy, in in the Navy who was given a, job, a, a small task of coming up with a chant for his 50-member platoon. And he just wrote out this little chant, and it just caught like wildfire. Because there's something about an attitude of of winning that touches something in us. And not just the victory, but that, if I believe that we will win, we kind of get that that translates into actually winning, that it starts with our mentality. And, you know, really, this is something that is hardwired in us. We're made for victory, and it's the essence of Christianity, that God is a God of victory. God is a God who overcomes. God is a God, and he demonstrates this and brought his victory through Jesus in his death on the cross and defeating the power of sin and evil and rising from the dead. He has brought his his victory into the world. And so, a winning attitude, and this is the the first thing, we, we have to start here, is that a winning attitude comes from Christ in us. It's not just like, hey, let's think positive thoughts, but when the risen Christ lives inside of us, the one who is victorious, it's natural for that attitude of victory to to flow from that. In 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14, the Apostle Paul writes and he says, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. If we are following Christ, he is always leading us in triumph. Now that doesn't mean we're Not going through difficult times or we're not having things to overcome, but we are on this path of experiencing his victory and bringing about his victory more and more in our lives and in the world around us. And this morning we're going to spend most of our time here reading through the most, probably the most famous winning story in the Bible. You know, maybe second to the resurrection of Jesus. But number two is the well known, well loved story of David and Goliath. And that's just the story. You read it, you got to love it. And we're actually going to take some time and read through more of the story than we usually do this morning. Um, but we're going to, because David in the story had a winning attitude that brought victory to his team. And there's so many truths in this for us to live out. Um, but it's important to realize that that David is not, he's, he's really, like a lot of things in the Old Testament, they're great stories, but they're, it's what's called type. They're called types of Jesus. And so what we see in the Old Testament is a model of what Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of. And so it's not just like, hey, these are good moral lessons, try to do this, but it's like what David did in defeating evil, Jesus ultimately did. And as we, our lives are connected to Jesus, we can live out that same victory in our life too. And so um, the story starts out, I'm going to sum up the first part and then we're just going to start reading. There's the nation of Israel and their dread enemies, the Philistines, and that name just kind of has nasty connotations, a Philistine. Um, it's kind of taking on that, that idea. I hope none of you are Philistines here in, in this room. No, I don't think there are too many left today. Um, but the Philistines and the Israelites were at war, and the Philistines had this, this champion. Their hero was a giant, a literal giant named Goliath, who was nine feet, nine inches tall. So he was a really tall dude. And it describes him, his armor was just massive and really heavy. And he came out in front of the Israelites. He started doing this every morning. They were camped kind of on two sides of a valley on the hills. And he would just yell out to the Israelites, Hey, you cowardly scum Israelites, pick one of your people. Is there a man among you who will fight me? And if one of you, let's have a fight, man on man. And whoever wins, their team wins. And every, every day he would come out and issue this challenge. And the people of the Israelite army just kind of trembled in fear because no one dared to go against this adversary. And so we're going to pick up the story here because there was, there was a boy who answered the call, and his attitude is the kind of attitude that God wants to give us. So in verse, uh, verse 12, and you can follow on the screen, or I encourage you to open this up because we're going to read through this whole chapter and you might want to look back at it a little bit. Um, so verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem. That was kind of a smaller, not well-known tribe, of, or a clan, of Bethlehem in Judah, named Jesse. He had eight sons. In the days of Saul, who was the king of Israel, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The, third el- the three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand, morning and evening. And, David said, and Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain, And these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp, to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well, and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning, and left the sheep with the keeper, and took the provisions and went, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line shouting the war cry. Now, the first thing I want to say about a, a winning attitude is that it often comes from unexpected places. David was the last guy that you would expect to bring a winning attitude to the situation. He was, part of, he was the youngest of eight sons. Uh, earlier on, we see the prophet Samuel went to, to his family because God had said, hey, one of these sons is going to be king. And even Samuel, the man of God, who heard God, looked at these eight sons, and he, he picked every other one as the likely king before David. Because he was the youngest, he, was out, he wasn't even with the family, he was out in some back pasture, out in the wilderness, taking care of sheep. A lot of Bible scholars think that David was likely illegitimate. That his, his mom wasn't the actual wife of Jesse. And so he maybe wasn't even considered one of the actual sons. Of this family. And so he's just the scrub little brother out watching sheep. And his dad sends him on a little errand to take some cheese and bread to his brothers who are doing the real work. But here, this unexpected guy is the one that God was going to use to bring victory. And I, don't you just love that? I mean, we all love this story of the underdog. Most of us feel like that in our life. And God loves to pick, it's not the things that, that we think you have to have to bring victory. But it's something different. God loves to pick you and I, the unexpected, to, to, bring, to bring his victory. I'll pick back up in the story in verse 21. It says, And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage, and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, Behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines, and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine? Kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now, the next thing we see about a winning attitude is that it flows from, from our passion for the Lord. We think, well, we do a lot of things to try to stir up, and sports teams do all sorts of things to try to get stirred up and get psyched up. And that's what Saul the King was doing. He's like, "What can I do to, to inspire somebody to have a winning attitude? What can I do to motivate someone to come and be the one who's willing to, to take a stand and fight this battle?" He said, "Well, I'll offer them basically everything I had to offer. Oh, they won't have to pay taxes anymore. I'll give them riches. Heck, I'll even give them my daughter. To marry. I mean, what more could, you know, I don't have anything more that I could give. And all the people, you get they were talking about, yeah, man, this is what the king's offered. You know, someone, man, they want to pay taxes. They'll marry the king's daughter, and she's pretty fine. I mean, this, you know, who's, who's going to do it? They're all talking about this. But it wasn't enough for anybody to answer the call. And you get the sense when David is talking about this, he's, it's not so much like, oh, wow, the reward's so great. I'm going to do it. He's more like, man, who is this dog of a pagan to taunt the armies of the one true God? This was a David who who was, as he was out as a shepherd, he was writing what's now in the Bible, many of the Psalms, of these Psalms of worship and adoration and prayer to God. He was building a, a friendship with God. He was getting to know God personally. He was worshiping Him. And seeing how how great he was, and seeing God's purpose for for his nation and for all the world, and his heart was growing more and more in love with 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 the Lord. It's like, man, this is the one I want to live for. This is the one our nation is for. This is what it's this is what it's all about. And so for him, it wasn't so much like, okay, yeah, I'll get I'll, I want to pay taxes and get some money, but it was like, man, there is an enemy here who is who is. Taunting the armies of the one true God. And I care about this God. And I care about his reputation in the world. And man, something needs to be done that he can be demonstrated as as being who he really is. So a winning attitude flows from a passion for God. If it's just about winning, you know, we talked about a couple weeks, if our vision is just about us or success or the American dream, it's not enough. But if we have a vision for the, the honor of God and his kingdom, That inspires something in us greater than anything else. Um, In the New Testament, in in Philippians 2, there's a verse that says, have this attitude, that's what we're talking about today, have this attitude in yourself that was also in Christ Jesus. Have the same attitude that was in Christ. And if you look at what that that word attitude, the the Greek word that's translated attitude there, literally it comes from the word that means your, your diaphragm or your midriff your midsection. It's the part of your body that protects your heart and your, your vital organs. And attitude, it's not just like we think of like a mental ascent, but it's, it's kind of hard to translate this word, but it combines the, the mental and the visceral aspects of how we think and feel. It's like have this, this visceral gut, mental, emotional, all kind combined together. It all comes together in the attitude that we have that was in Christ Jesus. And so, so often, I think the problem of of Christianity is it's just it's just up here, especially in the Midwest, in America. Like, we just can live in our heads a lot. And it's like, no, it's, man, it's something so much bigger that God wants to consume us with a passion for him and his kingdom. And as that grows in us, there's a real motivation that flows out of that. And so a winning attitude starts from, it flows from a passion for the Lord. All right, back to the story. Like I said, we're, today we're, we're going to read a lot of the story and, uh, there's trust in that God is speaking different things from, from this. I can't, I, can't, I can't say it better than the Bible does here. Now, verse 28, this is, this is good. Now, Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil in your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. Now the next thing we've got to understand about a winning attitude is that a winning attitude often is not popular. Even on your own team. Do you, have you heard... So you guys know how like, when fishermen or lobstermen, people who catch lobsters, and women, I not be sexist here, <laughs> lobstermen and women, when they catch lobsters, they don't have to put them in a cage. They put them in a bucket with other lobsters. And a lobster is able to cra- crawl out of that bucket, but they don't. You know why? Because as soon as one lobster start makes, starts making his way up, another one reaches up and grabs him and pulls him back down. And so often that's how groups are. You know, I can just imagine like these soldiers sitting around, and their their conversations in the morning. And It was probably a lot of about, man, this food that we're eating stinks. I'm tired of sea rations or whatever they had back in the day. You know, this these tents are horrible. I'm not getting a good night's sleep. Our leaders suck. Man, who's king? Man, who's gonna like do something about this? This is a horrible army that we're in. This is a horrible man. We got a horrible leadership. Our officers are the worst. Man, this is this is the pits. And there's something about that negative mentality that is so contaminating, but also influencing. That it creates. You know, many of you are probably like, that sounds like my job. You know, it's like everyone's talking about people behind their back, talking about their supervisors, like there's no motivation to get anything done. It's just so easy for that sort of atmosphere to be there. And if you're going to come into an atmosphere like that, hopefully you're not saying that sounds like my church. I really hope I'm saying that. But if you're going to come into an atmosphere like that and say, no, we can do this. We can see good stuff happen. We can get a victory. Man, we can we can do it. It's not going to be like everybody just goes, oh, yeah, you're the best. Man, you're a wonderful leader. Let's just follow you. You know, that is oftentimes not what happens. For us to make a difference, you've got to be willing to, to, to step out and have those other lobsters grab on you and try to drag you back down to the lobster heap. Because it's often not popular to have a winning attitude. Because it's, it's easier to stay in that place of complaining and mediocrity and having excuses for why the things are the way they are, instead of bringing that, that winning mentality. Um, I was just, uh, no, that's okay, we'll move on. You tell a lot of stories about losing, losing in cultures, but we'll, we'll move on. Uh, verse 31. It says, When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, the king, and he sent for him. Now think about that. These words were so unusual that this adolescent kid, his, what he said was repeated over and over again. And so it quickly, the news got to the king. Wow, there's someone here with a little bit of optimism. Can you believe it? There's someone here who thinks we can do something. There's someone here who thinks he can do something, maybe about the situation. He didn't, he didn't even say, like, I'm going to do it. He just said, man, what's going to happen? Something should be done. And that, that, that word, that, that attitude of victory, that winning attitude was so unique that it made its way all the way to the king. And I'll tell you, that's the truth. If, if we have that winning attitude, I don't care what your job is, what your church is, what your family is, that attitude is powerful and stands out. And your supervisor is looking for people with that attitude. Your teachers are looking for people. They're desperate for people with that attitude. And that attitude will be recognized and it will, it, will, it will stand out. And so Saul calls for him. Um, verse, verse 32. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail him because of, what? Because, of, because of him, the giant. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight with him. You're but a youth. You're a kid. And he's been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Isn't that crazy? Just, I mean, we know this story, a lot of us, but this kid shows up and says, Hey, gonna, we can do it, I can do it. And yeah, I've got a little practice. I've fought some lions and bears, beat them. I'm going to do it. he had such a winning mentality, winning attitude, that King Saul was like, you're the man. Go do it. I'm willing to risk the whole fate of our nation on you because of this attitude that I I see in you. And what I really love about this is that a winning attitude both does two things at the same time. It takes responsibility for our actions, while at the same time, trusting God. And it's, it's kind of rare that we do both of those at the same time. You know, religious people oftentimes like to say, you know, you tell someone like, oh, you did a great job, Sharon, you did a great job singing on the worship team this morning. And a religious answer will be like, oh, it wasn't me, it was God. You know, like, anything you say, like, it can be this overly, overly religiosity, like, oh, that wasn't me, that was God. It's like, well, it sure looked like you. <laughs> you know, I saw your mouth moving, and it sure sounded like your voice, and your hands were there, like, that, that looked like you were there. And, but we can, we can make it so weird, like, and even this, like, and it, we can hide behind that. Like, oh, well, if God wants to do something, he'll do something. Now, before Hudson Taylor went to China to bring the gospel there, he was trying to rally support to go there, and people told him, hey, if God wants to save the pagans, he'll do it himself. Like God, and God's saying, no, whenever I want to do something, I look for a woman or I look for a man who I can use to work through. And so a winning attitude takes responsibility and says, I can do this, but I know it's not just me. Ultimately, it's God. That as I step into this, I'm not just being proud and saying, "Yeah, I got this under control. It's me." But it's like, no, I'm putting my trust in the living God. And as I step into the situation, He is with me. He is in me, and He's the one who's going to bring the victory. And that's what David had. That's what he. That's what he calls us to. Um, Philippians four thirteen. We we sang this song earlier today. I can do all things. How? Through Him who strengthens me. That's the winning attitude. I. Me, little old me, I can do all things. But it's not just me. It's through him who strengthens me. And that's the kind of attitude that God wants us to carry. When we know that the God of the universe is in us, that he's saved us, that he's made us righteous, that he's pleased with us, that as Reagan said, he takes pleasure in us. He wants us to carry out his victory in the world. Not that it's immediate or quick or easy, but he wants us to be part of that victory. We can, have that, we can say, I can do all things. But it's not just me, it's through him. He strengthens me. Alright, so David goes on. Verse 38. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand And chose five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistines. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David, with his shield bearer in front of him. And so, so Saul tried to give David his armor. That made sense. This is the best armor there is. You definitely want armor going to this battle. But David was like, "Hey, I'm not used to it. It's kind of big." I haven't trained with this, that's not what I'm going to use. I got my staff and I got my slingshot and I'm going to go. And he went. And that's the, the next thing about a winning attitude is that a winning attitude initiates conflict. A winning attitude goes to where the battle is. Now, how many of you are like me and we want to avoid conflict? Like, wherever there's like this... Tension in the relationship or issue going on, it's like, oh, can we find a way to just hope that goes away by itself? You know, maybe it's not that big of a deal. And, you know, I ask you to think about that this morning like, hey, where is there a conflict under the surface on your team, in your family, in your marriage, with your kids, at work, at church? Where is there something where there's an unresolved conflict? A winning attitude says, I want to go into that situation. Not, not as a jerk, but with a winning attitude to say, hey, I can help bring a solution to the situation. Um, you know, it's it's choosing to run into conflict, even even when you're not feeling it. And you know, David in this situation, he was going into a battle that was likely gonna end in him dying, right? I mean that's that's how this story plays out naturally kid comes into battle against the giant. He's going to die. And David was willing to, to, to face that risk in order to bring the victory about. And a lot of times for us, like maybe to have a the, talk to your roommate about who's leaving laundry on the bathroom floor. That may feel like you're risking your life or something. I don't know. The conflict, it feels like that. Like, oh, my goodness. Like, I, this doesn't, I don't want to go there. But when you know that, hey, this isn't about me. This is about something bigger than me. I want to see God's kingdom come on the team that I'm on. I want to see God bring something that bigger. Then it's worth risking the dying to ourself and whatever that entails to to run into the conflict and, and see what God has to bring. All right, verse 42, and this is pretty much wrapping up the story. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. Whom you have defied. There is again, it's his passion for the Lord behind all this. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. God, you gotta love that. Now, he's looking at the giant in the eye and say, Hey, victory is coming. And you're going down. And it's happening today. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you down. While I'm at it, I'm gonna cut off your head. And then I'm going to give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. And there's some good trash talking going on right there. I mean, that's some serious smack. You should bring that on the basketball court right there. Like, I'm going to feed your corpse to the birds of the air and the wild beast That's this game. That all the earth may know there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into his hand into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly. There it is. He ran into the conflict, initiated conflict. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone stone sank... The stone stank, no, it didn't stank, it sank. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his feet to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine, and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him, and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharm as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. So there, this incredible courageous miraculous victory happens that when david brought this winning attitude to the conflict guess what happened they won there was a victory that happened purely connected directly connected to his attitude and the same thing is true for us that the attitude we bring determines the kind of the level of victory that is ultimately experienced And, you know, what I I love about this is that David's winning attitude was contagious. That one person with a different attitude stepped into that fray, stepped into that conflict, and after he saw a victory, everyone else was like, oh, yeah, we can do this thing. Yeah, go Israel. Yeah, I mean, we knew we could do this the whole time. (laughs) And, yeah, that's that's what I was telling you. I I knew we should do this. And they all pick up their swords, and they go, and they, they chase the Philistines, and there's this great victory that it's not just one guy who's killed, but the whole, the whole army is defeated. And that sort of attitude is contagious. People are, people are looking for that. People, I was Reagan, My wife, Reagan, and I just went to Louisville to celebrate our 21st anniversary of the last couple of days, and we went to a U2 concert. And it was a new experience for me. It was in a big football stadium. But I was like, you know, one of the reasons I like this music and a lot of people like this music because there's, a, there's an attitude of victory. There's an attitude of, yeah, there are good things happening and a celebration. And people are looking for that. People are looking for those that will say, you know, we're not going to be, yes, we can see the problems of the world, but there is something greater that is bigger than that. And that's what we have as, as believers in, in Jesus that we can carry with us. And so I just want to you know, ask you, you know, where, where in your life is there a giant? Where is there, you know, it may not be nine feet nine, it may be five feet two, but it looks like a giant. Because, you know, that's just, just how we are. But where is there a giant who's who's taunting you and your family or your team or, you know, whatever, whatever team you're on, where is there a giant who's saying, man, I've got the upper hand and there's nothing you can do about it? What's that situation look like for you? You know, maybe it's the, the culture of gossip at work or, dysfunction in family or, you know, maybe it's just, maybe you're like, it's something big like, man, there are no, basically no known Christians in Saudi Arabia and that's just like a taunt of the enemy to say, hey, I got this part of the world and God's saying, man, I want you to do something about that. I want you to, like, lead someone to Christ at K-State who could turn that around. You now, wh- what would it be? Where is there a, a giant taunting you? Maybe that's something else. You now, God, God wants to use you to bring a different attitude, that could turn things around, and the question is: Is will we trust him? Will we? Will we have that attitude? Will we answer the call? Um, let's do this. Worship team, could you come back up? I know we didn't talk about this. Um, can we maybe just do that first song as we wrap up? And.